a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. I know it's been holiday time. I know everybody's had Thanksgiving and everything, but... Man, do I miss Dr. Batar. Dr. Batar, it feels like it's been two, three weeks, even though we were just on last week. It does feel like it's uh, it's been an extended period of time. I don't know why. Maybe it was just because of the long Thanksgiving weekend, but it does feel like it's been a couple weeks since we've talked. I think it's because I, I kind of unplugged. I never take time off. And talking with Super Don, my producer, I was like, yeah, man, maybe we should do a couple of uh, bonus best of archive broadcast. And you know, he said, yeah, let's do it. So I think it was just the unplug, which is healthy. Every once in a while, you just got to recharge the batteries, enjoy family. And I know you had a great time. I heard from your brother, Shahid. He said he had a wonderful time back home with you guys. So I'm, I'm just happy to hear it. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good time with the whole family. So I'm glad you also got to unplug. And that rest always makes it, uh, makes it makes the momentum come back. When it does come back, it, it's much greater and, and harder. So, Oh, man. I was fired up last hour, Dr. Batar. I couldn't wait to get you on. We, we covered this story, and you and I talked about this off the air. They released it Wednesday before Thanksgiving. You know that's when they want news that no one will pay attention to. The New England Journal of Medicine basically admits the mammography is, is far more than worthless. It's dangerous. Yeah, actually, mammography... A number of years ago, this is probably a decade back now, uh, it was covered at a conference, a medical conference, I believe it was an ACAM conference, and what was interesting was they talked about the history of mammography and how the congressional committee that was in charge of making decisions that would impact the public's perception of chronic disease and, and how the public would be indoctrinated, for no better word, that would be the best way of describing it, how the public would be indoctrinated as far as what's out there and what they should do. And the, and the history of the mammography is so unbelievable, it's almost like a, it's, it's like a movie, because the actual data that was pre- presented to the U.S. Congress showed that mammography had absolutely no increase in survival and actually caused increased exposure, not only to radiation, which obviously that's how mammography works, it's the radiation when they irradiate the breast, but it's also because of the inflammatory cascade that's initiated due to the trauma when the breast is compressed. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. risk of developing breast cancer is actually higher for those people that are having mammography. Now, this was data that was clearly presented, and the decision from the congressional committee that was in charge of making the decision was that it would be better to put this information out because at least the perception of the public is that there is something that they can do about it. But there was a Chinese study that was done, and I believe they looked at 19,000 women, and they looked at the, the two groups that they looked at were mammography versus self-exam, and they found that there was no increase in survivability and no, ch- no difference in early detection between mammography and self-exam. So if there's no difference between these two, and self-exam, any woman can do at her house with no cost versus mammography, you're going to increase exposure, you're going to increase uh, trauma, you're going to increase the exposure not only to radiation but the inflammatory cascade, the trauma to the breast. Yes. 
why would anybody do that? And, the, and it's all because of, again, you know, what the perception is and what people need to know. So it's misinformation being fed to the public. Yeah. It, it's, it's like the uh, thing, Robert, you and I talked about, I think this was off the air, about Op4. Remember we talked about when they have the, um, the um, protection for the military soldiers. Yes. They, they have four categories of MOP. MOP gear is, I don't remember what it exactly stands for now, but basically it's four different degrees of protection that you're supposed to be able to put on. And MOP 1, which is just the gas mask for chemical warfare, you have 11 seconds to put that on. Yet, even if you had all four all four levels of MOP, meaning the mask, the body, the armor, the hand, gloves, feet, where all that stuff that's supposed to protect you, which you have about two minutes to put this on. This is a charcoal-lined um, apparel, essentially. Yes. Yes. Even if you had all MOP 4 on, this is back in nineteen in the mid nineteen eighties. What the Russians were using back then would eat through full mop four in less than seven seconds, eight seconds, something like that. But it was, it was, was the perception that, that that they wanted you to have that there was some level of protection that afforded you. Exactly. And when, when I asked one of our cadre, then why is it that if this stuff will eat through our full mop gear in eight seconds, and we have two minutes to put it on, why are we even training soldiers to do it? And the response from the cadre was that if you command a soldier, if you order a soldier to go into battle, and they know that this information, you know, they know they've been empowered with this truth, do you think anybody's going to go into combat? Of course not. So you tell the soldiers, you have them go through these drills, thinking that they've got protection, whereas in fact they have no protection. And this is the same thought process. This is the same strategy that's not being used, not only just against the soldiers, but worldwide against society as a whole. It will exactly. Military, medical, industrial complex, where one begins, the other ends, you can't tell anymore. We covered this a bit last hour. By the way, if you haven't figured it out, it's Advanced Medicine Monday. Dr. Vitar is back co-hosting as he does every Monday with me here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Really sensational news coming out, but of course the old media will be forced to cover it but right before you go on the holiday break so so i won't talk about it again that's why we're doing this here today now so much of this is covered in the nine steps to keep the doctor away you discuss it at length as well in the advanced medicine seminar for everybody but let's go through if you don't mind dr batar some of the known causes outside of the iatrogenic causes which are varied and real including mammography the known causes for breast cancer that could easily be prevented or detoxified before it ever becomes a problem we can certainly do that robert that's the way the seven toxicities come in i assume that's what you're referring to yes correct yeah the seven toxicities which is to me the epitome of where information and knowledge should start for people that are interested in preventing disease because by definition, if you can effectively remove these seven toxicities, chronic disease cannot exist. And this is what people yes. really need to understand. The key word there is effective detoxification. You know, you remember what I said at the Advanced Medicine Seminar that the word detoxification is a cheap word like love. People use it, <laughs> but they don't really understand or, or even know what it means sometimes. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of lip service given to the word detoxification. But if you can effectively, and that's our key operative word, if you can effectively detoxify the body, these seven toxicities, by definition, no chronic disease can exist, whether it's cancer, heart disease, arthritis, diabetes. I don't care what it is. Now, if I have a patient that fails after I've done this, does that mean that my philosophy is wrong? No, it means I did not effectively address the toxicity. Either I didn't identify the right one or I didn't get it all. Mm-hmm. Seven toxicities in a nutshell. Number one is heavy metal toxicity. Second one is persistent organic pollutants, all the 
chemicals that we're exposed to. The third one is the opportunistics, which are the bacteria, the viruses, spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, etc. Those are the pathogens that need an opportunity to set up house. In other words, the first and second toxicity, the metals and the persistent organic pollutants suppress the immune system and allow these opportunistics to set up house. Then the fourth one, and we now get into the esoteric category, the fourth one is energetics, everything from microwave, uh, radiation, electromagnetic radiation, ambient cell phone radiation, etc., etc. Um, then the fifth one is the most significant when it comes to cancer and many other chronic diseases, and that's the emotional psychological one. The sixth one is food, not what we're eating, but actually what's done to the food that we have, the homogenization, pasteurization, the genetic modification, the irradiation, those type of things. And then the seventh one is spiritual toxicity. Yeah, and that's that's very critical because this is where the weakness is exploited, the spiritual toxicity, right? We have a whole million still, maybe tens of millions, maybe more Americans that are looking to the doctor as if they are you know, a special priest with special powers or special communique with whoever on high, that they believe when they pronounce that you will get cancer of the breast because you have the BRCA gene, which it really indicates what we're talking about here is, uh, let's say, regenerative pathways that are not efficient, for one, maybe detox pathways that are blocked as well that are not functional. And, and yet none of this is communicated to women like Miss America, who says she's going to have her boobies lopped off, or Sharon Osborne, wife of Osby Osborne, that did the same thing, or anybody now is being counseled because of this false gene hypothesis. Yeah, it is a false gene hypothesis. It's misinformation perpetuated over and over again. The illusion is created and perpetuated, and people end up, you know, maiming themselves, essentially, completely unnecessarily, because you know, the question is how much research has been done on people that have had their breasts removed and then see whether they actually have reduction in cancer. And the, and the fact is that it makes no difference because it's a level of toxicity. It has nothing to do with the breast. You can start looking at the hormone levels. You can start looking at these genes. You can start looking at all these different things. It all comes down to one of two things, and it's usually a combination of both, which is a significant malnutrition or, or deficiency of a certain nutrient that's necessary as a protective mechanism, like many of the minerals that we've talked about before, antioxidants, whatever the case is, a nutritional deficiency or a toxicity. And the toxicity is almost always there. Usually it's a combination of both. Wherever that cancer started, at that point, at that instant, there was a combination of toxicity and malnutrition. And the toxicity causes the requirements in that area of the body where it's normally protected, it taxes that area because of the deficiency of, say, selenium or whatever, the, you know, uh, many of the antioxidant pathways that are, that are compromised due to metal exposure, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got a malnutrition issue and you've got a toxicity issue. And you can take off any part of the body. It's not going to prevent cancer from coming because that's a, a terrain issue. Yes. Yeah, again, the law of the terrain, so critical to understand here. And if you've not picked up the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, uh, this it spells it out so beautifully and so simply. And I would encourage you also to plan to come to the next Advanced Medicine Seminar in Phoenix in January. We'll get more information up on that shortly. But, Dr. Batar, it's amazing how many of these scientific journals are now publishing that which we've been talking about. And you say, if you go to an ACAM, an alternative, what they call alternative medicine conference, the docs there have been talking and discussing these things long before they were published in the official journals so that they could be buried as if they don't exist. 
Well, that's true. And uh, even even the organizations themselves, though, they end up, unfortunately, because as they get bigger, there's a political agenda that usually arises. And even there, you will end up having a lot of misinformation. Um, DMPS, uh, DMSA is a perfect example of, you know, which chelators mm-hmm. should be used, should not be used. And I think it's, uh, I think it's actually a function of any group as they get big they lose their focus on what's supposed to happen, what it's meant, what their, what their, you know, um, mission was or what their goal was. Mm-hmm. And they end up having their own agendas, their own political. Right. Yeah. Dr. Batar, rather than becoming too big to fail, they become too big to succeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's another fascinating discussion here. We have on advanced medicine Monday with Dr. Batar, uh, check it out. All the links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You can also listen to all the past, uh, uh MP3 downloads at, at medicalrewind.com. We have that linked up as well. And we're going to take a quick break here. There's more scientific, uh, conflict of interest being revealed. Our dear friend, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny wrote a big thing about it. I want to talk about that as well. Also, if there's more breast cancer discussion, perhaps, but certainly, and I want to replay the phone call we got last week because Dr. Batar wasn't here to listen, although he's heard it since then, uh, and how it really tugged at my heartstrings. I want to play that again as well. So stand by. Lots more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday Edition with Dr. Rasha Batar. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. On the heels of the revelations about mammography being worthless, on the heels of the revelations of the Cochrane collaboration, which showed the flu shot to be absolutely worthless, now Dr. Sherry Tenpenny has written another big expose, this one published most recently at the Huffington Post, Fraudulent Medical Research Could Affect Your Diagnosis. Dr. Batar. Sherry is amazing the way she goes into such detail about the fraud going on in the research uh, arena. Yeah, she is. She's been very meticulous always, all the papers I've read. And ever since I've known her, she's always been that way. So and I've known her for over a decade. Yeah, it's incredible, this article. I mean, it's it, it, when we're reading it, we're going, there's more, there's more, there's more. I mean, it's not just like there's one isolated, oh, look at that. Occasionally they got a bad apple that came through and they published it and they had to retract it. There is so much of this that it seems like fraud is not the, not the exception, but it's the rule. Yeah, exactly. And Sherry mentions this Dr. John Ionidis, who's, uh, who was raised in Athens, Greece, but is from New York City. And he wrote a paper in 2005 called Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. And it's been the most downloaded technical paper from the journal PLOS Medicine. I'm not sure what that stands for. Uh, that's but, one of the, 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 I think, the big medical group that publishes all, a lot of these uh, uh, journals. I got you. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a remarkable paper in itself. I have not read it, but just the title of it, Why Most Published Research Findings Are False. This comes back to the same type of um, scenario when 2020 was interviewing me, and we were talking about um, the, the person who was interviewing me brought up the fact that what I had put out on the Internet and what many of my patients have put on videos and audio recordings and their own stories, it wasn't 
scientific. And I said, what do you mean it's not scientific? Who said it was science? And nobody said it was science. They, of course, took all that part of the conversation out. They just put this part up there when they said that who said it was science, like what I was doing. Mm -hmm. The point was who said that these comments and these uh, stories that people put out, who said that that was science? I never put that out as science and neither did those people that put it out. And he said, well, regardless, this, this isn't evidence-based medicine. You're not following the scientific m uh, methodology when um, people can go on the Internet and read these, these stories of people, how they got better. That's not the scientific model. And you know, my, my question was, well, what do you mean the scientific model? He said it's not based on um, evidence-based medicine. And uh, you know, I just couldn't believe he said that. And I said, excuse me, are you talking about – evidence-based medicine as defined by a double-blind placebo-controlled crossover multi-center trial that led to the advent of drugs such as Vioxx that had to kill 55,000 people before they took it off the market? Is that the type of evidence-based medicine scientific model you're talking about? And, of course, he kind of paused and uh, said, well, let's move on and just went to the <laughs> – Yeah, let's not – move along. Nothing to see here. Yeah, I mean it's, it's just absurd that the the – terminology that's used i mean you th think about it this is like what they call projection you know mm -hmm. when it goes through a divorce you know their ex may project their own inadequacies on on yourself or have you ever heard of that term projection robert oh yeah anybody that's got a psych degree unfortunately will learn about this uh even some sociology will cover it but yeah the idea that you project onto others that you, which are your own failings or your own falsehoods, the things that you do as a, as a, even in a criminal act, you'll look to others to say, well, if I'm doing it, everybody else must be a criminal too. And there's an opposite uh, concept too, where, where they'll take on the attributes of the ones that they're going against and take on, take on the, um, like if, if they know they're wrong and their opponent is right, they'll take on the opponent's own identity it's a it's a way of projection, you know, reverse projection, if you will. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what the mainstream medical community has done. They call it evidence-based medicine, whereas, in fact, the integrative approach, when you look at nutrition and toxicity and you look at all these different components, you address the body's terrain, you address uh, deficiencies, you address the importance of taking out those things that aren't supposed to be in the body. They, that's all based on evidence. And so what do they do? They start using that terminology, evidence-based medicine, Whereas, in fact, it has nothing to do with based upon the evidence. I mean, think of it this way. A house is built up of bricks, okay? Mm -hmm. And so as science built upon facts, just like a house is built upon bricks. But a pile of facts makes no more science than a pile of bricks makes a house. <laughs> and this is the thing that people have to recognize when they're reading any type of a medical journal or even mainstream media's review of a medical article is that what they're doing is they're collecting a bunch of facts, like they're collecting a bunch of bricks, and then they throw them all in a pile and they call it a house. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the thing that Dr. Sherry Tenpenny does so well in this article is she shows it for what it is. It's much like the emperor wears no clothes. Right. And I come back to that term. You use the term projection. I think that's very well said. And I think also the the term projection is used to, well, we'll the good guys will use it wrongly because they'll project their goodness onto people that don't deserve that goodness being projected upon them so the perception is well the science it's been published so it must be real it must be right it must be good because the people generally think in terms of well these people mean well they're scientific they're smarter than me they have a degree which i call a degree and suddenly now you've projected onto them that which they're not worthy of you're absolutely right robert 
we see this a lot in, in all sorts of medicines. It's amazing that there's so much in just the anesthesiology field that Dr. Tempany talked about. But, you know, one of the things in longevity medicine, this is a point of contention that I've had for, for literally for over a decade. In 1998, I lectured at an A4M conference and uh, I got terrible reviews. I gave the same lecture um, a, two and a half years later. In 2001, I gave the same lecture in front of the same audience, and this time I got a standing ovation. I had more than the registered attendees uh, attend my lecture. I was told uh, by the chief of plastic surgery from Mayo Clinic that I was a genius. I was the highest rated speaker in four and a half days of the conference. And you know what the difference between the original lecture and this new lecture that I gave was? Yeah, I was going to say, you got to tell us the difference between those two. Why could it be the worst one, and then two years later, the best one? One slide. And it was one slide with, because a paper came out in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute that supported everything that I'd been saying. And essentially, it, in a nutshell, it's all about longevity medicine where they talk about giving growth hormone. And if you inject growth hormone, you're driving IGF-1 up. And that's what the desired effect is. That's what all the doctors in longevity medicine are doing. They're measuring the IGF-1, whereas the IGF-1 stands for insulin-like growth factor and is actually correlated with cancer because cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer and produces its own insulin-like growth factor in order to survive. And so my whole contention was if you're going to be giving somebody uh, any type of therapy, you should not be measuring IGF-1, first of all, because um, it, it's it's a byproduct. It's, it's not even a direct correlation. But here's the thing. Why are you trying to drive up IGF-1? We should be trying to drop IGF-1. Not only are you measuring the wrong thing, but when you are measuring it, you're trying the goal of therapy is to try to drive this component up, whereas, in fact, that component being driven up is correlated directly with cancer. And I got ridiculed and I got, you know, I was told I was an embarrassment of medicine. I shouldn't be allowed to practice. Those are the reviews on my CME evaluation for that first lecture because essentially I was throwing in the face of all these doctors that were using injectable growth hormone that what you're doing is doing the wrong thing. You're driving this stuff in the wrong direction and you shouldn't be doing it. And everybody knew that. I, I mean, I was the only doctor there essentially that was you know, actually dealing with cancer on a daily basis. And then two and a half years later when I gave the same lecture, there were more people that were there. The organization was bigger. There were more people that understood what was going on. But it was that one reference that the General of the National Cancer Institute and that I can even give you exact quote. I don't have the information for me. I can give you the exact quote and even the reference. September 20th, 2000, Journal of the National Cancer Institute. And the quote was, IGF-1s are directly related to uncontrolled cellular proliferation, suppression of apoptosis, and uncontrolled risk in 37 different cancers. Dude, you know, you got some you-know-whats to go in two years later with the same basic lecture, one slide different, knowing how much they trashed you two years earlier. What were you thinking? Well, you know, it's funny because I got I gained a lot of popularity, but then two years after that, in two thousand and four, um, I told the the organizers, the people at A four M, Goldman and um, and Klatz, they're the ones that are big behind the A four M movement. I told them that this was ridiculous that they were giving these type of conferences and they weren't talking about toxicity. You can't address longevity without addressing toxicity, and. Um, we kind of got into it, into an argument, and essentially I got blackballed. I don't go there. They won't allow me to speak there again, although I've been requested time and time again. But interestingly enough, now they have lectures on toxicity there. Well, like I said, sometimes you could be just two years too, too, too far ahead of time, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what's so amazing about what I'm witnessing with the advanced medicine seminars. It's not that this information is unavailable at other seminars or other events and other lectures. 
But the way it's coming together is so organic in a sense because there are people that are recognizing the need and they have this passion either for healing or the need to be healed. And, they're, and that convergence coming together, that like attract like is happening. And it really is, uh, it's the two plus two equals five, the plus factor that's happening. Yeah, I think the information is out there, Robert. I think a lot of people are scared to say it. The doctors that are at the conferences, the ones that do know the truth, are scared to invoke the wrath of their peers so they keep their mouths shut, mm-hmm. uh, lest they infuriate somebody in position of influence like I have in many of these organizations. Um, you know, Because to me, BS is BS, no matter how you package it. And um, there are those, as we've mentioned already, that have other agendas besides the truth and Unfortunately, as these organizations get bigger and bigger and there's more ego involved and more um, you know, personal gain issues that come into play, they end up deviating from the path that was originally the mission of the organization. Right. Yeah. So it, is, it, it isn't the goal, I think, of every organism on the planet to become bigger and larger and bigger and larger, and that's it. I mean, there's got to be the goal being the message is the goal. <laughs> you know? yep, and the exactly. people who are ready will hear the message, and that's what we're here for. And that's why Advanced Medicine Seminars was created. Yeah, and it's exciting. Well, when we come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play again this call we got last week. I, I want Dr. Batar to comment on it as well because it goes to the heart of what we're trying to do here. And I think we're, we're doing it every Monday. And, of course, every couple of months you can uh, make it down to Advanced Medicine Seminar wherever we'll be next one in Phoenix. We'll tell you more about that. When we come back right here on the Robert Scadbell Show, check it out, robertscadbell.com. All the links to Dr. Batar and the Medical Rewind are up. Check it out. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. We're talking about the message versus just growing big for the sake of growing big. I mean, it is exciting, Dr. Batar. When we hear we get 1.2 million downloads in a month, that's exciting. But the goal of being big for big sake? No, not at all. The message is the same. We haven't changed. The people are getting word of it. They're hearing it. They're sensing it. They're feeling it. And they're being drawn to it, just as I see the growth of the advanced medicine seminars. It's not steroidal growth. It's real growth. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Robert. It, it is. And that's what's so exciting about it, because it is the real type of growth. It's, it's, uh, it's making a difference. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I think uh, this is why I wanted to replay this for for our listeners that missed this last week on Tuesday, right after Advanced Medicine Monday, this call came in. So I couldn't have Dr. Batar in with me. He was busy with his patients as usual, getting ready for the holiday. So for the sake of all of us, I want to get together, listen to this again. We'll comment it on afterwards. Are you ready for this, Dr. Batar? I am. All right, here we go. Hi, Robert. It's Deborah. I'm Otto, and I am giving you some feedback on the advanced medicine seminar that I attended this weekend in Houston. Um, first, I'd like to say thank you to Dr. Vitar for organizing and ensuring that that conference is going across the country, and to you for participating because it was a delight to meet you both and to be at that conference. Um, my takeaway, where I have lots of takeaways from that particular conference, but if I were going to tell people one thing that I would hope would cause them to register and go to a conference would be that information is power. We have so much suppression of good information. We have misinformation. We have information that's half-truth 
uh, supplements that don't necessarily work or uh, procedures that maybe sort of work or don't work. And going to this seminar and using his book as a roadmap has really opened doors for me in getting information that is a truth, that's real, that works, and empowers you to be able to do so much for yourself and really helps you kind of weave through that whole process of finding a physician that can help you if you're really sick, that um, that you can discern which ones are going to really help you, which ones will listen. But um, I really enjoyed meeting the other physicians that were there. Uh, the gentleman from Italy was really great to talk to. I had a chance to visit with him in the hallway at a break, and I really enjoyed that. So there's really good networking. But this truly was for the lay people um, on that second day, and uh, I can tell you that I will be going to my sisters and, uh, and friends and just encouraging them to go because it's... it's um, going to give them an opportunity if they decide to act on these things. And you can't accomplish anything if you don't take action. But it's difficult to take action when you don't have a clear path. And that's what this does for you. It gives you a, a path. It opens a door. It shows you a way that you can go that's going to give you results and you, you have hope. And the second thing that I'd like to say is that I did bring my daughter, as you're aware, the son had, had been having some trouble, uh, and the price of this conference was paid off when I saw the tears in my daughter's eyes, and they were um, not tears of sadness. They were tears of hope because she knows that she has a place to go with her son that will help her unlock that door, and she's going to have her son back. And we're going to have our grandson back. And I can't thank you for that enough. And I'm sorry for getting emotional, but you have no idea how much that means to me and my family. So, oh, thank you again. Bless you both. Bless all of you. I love you dearly and uh, wish you only, only, only the best for your lives and the lives that you touch. Thank you again. Wow. Man, Deborah, I feel that love coming back right at, at you with that. I mean, it, it, well, tears welling up in me hearing it again, Dr. Batar. It's such clarity of the message, and then it got so emotional at the end with what it was paying it forward to her daughter and her grandson. You know, if it's not about our families and those that we love, then, Robert, then we don't know. I don't know what it's about. I think that's what life is about. It's about those relationships that we form. It's about the lessons that we learn. It's about the lessons that we impart on others and and how we leave the planet when we leave um we leave it better for our children we leave it better for the future generations and you know if we can have a at least for myself i know and i think i speak for you too if we can have a some small role in that and affect people's lives in a positive manner then there's no po- more powerful thing that we can leave behind you know i i love among many things that she said there deborah's talked about the clear path i now have a clear path You think about how many people come to this or right now sitting out there in states of confusion. 
some pur- purposefully uh, done, like we talked about the scientific journals publishing papers that are based on not reality, and then they throw this evidence-based nonsense at you when you're doing evidence-based and they're not. There's so much confusion out there. To me, that's as powerful as anything that she says. We now have a clear path, of course, aligned then with hope. That's hope based on a clear path. We know which way to go. We can now take action. And, you know, what she said is exactly what my goal was to create. What she said was music to my ears because it's when you create something and you're hoping that it achieves something and then you hear from the other side that it's been achieved, even if it just touches one person per per seminar that we do, Robert, Mm -hmm. we have accomplished what our goal was. Yes, and I know it touches far more than that. We recognize it, but Deborah was so eloquent in her relating, and I'm so grateful to her because that's, you know, when I talk about it from my perspective, I, you know, I I love going out there and giving and making these connections. Uh, But as you said, when it's received and when, when they can communicate it back in such a way that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, the goal has been accomplished. And of course, in this way, she becomes a light not only for her daughter, but for many others. That that path can be cleared out. It's not just us having to do it every time. They're going to be the ones doing it. You're absolutely right, Robert. And and it's such a sense of, as you said, you were thankful for the, her eloquent message. Uh, I'm filled with gratitude that she was able to relay that. And in some small way, it's going to become a much bigger thing than what it sounds right now because that's it's almost like that one cry that you hear and then it expands it's like a snow snowflake that turns into a snowball that turns into an avalanche Mm. and that is my vision for advanced medicine seminars that we are just beyond the snowflake stage we're just starting to form that snowball but as it continues to gain momentum and roll down it's going to become an avalanche and it's going to be God willing, a movement that no organization, no governmental agency, no no authoritative body will be able to stop. And it will be the momentum that then causes that change to occur, which we know that no significant change ever in history has been achieved without the public demanding it. And that's what the hope is here. That's what the goal is here, that the public is empowered with that knowledge that then makes them autonomous, gives them the ability to demand what the truth is and change the world for everybody. Well, and become living examples of that truth. I mean, have you ever wanted something so much that you're willing to pack up in the middle of the night or whenever it is from Idaho and and ride all the way down by car to Houston? How many days that took her and to get her daughter in there and to have that life-changing event occur? And yet there's so many things that can inconvenience us and, and, and uh, dissuade us from making something like this a leap like she made for this to happen. So if you're out there and you're getting that sense that this is the right thing for you, the very least, of course, we're greatly appreciative that you're listening every week. But beyond that, the ability to take this out, Dr. Batar, what you're doing is sensational. And I'm so glad that I'm able to attend these things and help out in any small way I can because it is it's making manifest those things that we talk about all the time. Well, it's making that making that shift, Robert, and I appreciate you being there. And um, you know, the information—it's the information is one thing, but it's also when people can make that connection in person. You know, I think it takes it to the next level. And and I saw how many people were happy with that, and it, it just put a big smile on my face. So. <laughs> 
No, it's it's really great. Listen, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back and wrap it up. I'm sure we've got some ailments to discuss, something that we can throw out there for everybody. Uh, one little takeaway that we give you every every week here on the Advanced Medicine Monday version of the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashi Batar. The links are up, including the links to Advanced Medicine Seminar. So if it's coming to a city near you, you can plan. Or if you're like uh, Deborah, you could be far flung from the city and you're going to find a way to make it there. We'll be there looking forward to seeing you. So stand by. Say thanks to our sponsors. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. in the health world through the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show if you're a long-time listener to the robert scott bell show if you've read the nine steps to keep the doctor away by dr batar you're well ahead of most of the world in understanding that we got to go back to go forward <laughs> i mean we we got to embrace the things of grandma and grandpa and great grandma and great grandpa last week i was on jerry dole's show and i talked about the fact that they're attacking us because we want to eat cleaner foods as if that's somehow a crime or not not democratic or elitist and here's an article that we have linked to in today's show notes dr Batarn. you have it there about old-fashioned medical remedies are making a comeback you know it's amazing how many cool things i've learned in medicine from doctors that were getting ready to retire and when you talk to the doctors that are practicing now they would almost make fun of these old-time doctors for doing some of these things. Case in point is the use of magnesium. Mm -hmm. I remember when I started working in the emergency room at Stanley Memorial Hospital in Albemarle back in 1990, I guess it must have been 1995. The Albemarle, that's deep south North Carolina. Yep, yep, Albemarle, North Carolina. And um, there was a number of hospitals I was working in. I was still active duty at the time, so this was weekends when I had the time to moonlight. I would moonlight. And uh, I worked in a number of different ERs in that part of North Carolina. And I remember um, I had learned from one of my, uh, when I was a fourth-year student, from one of my attendings who was an OBGYN doctor, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. the use of magnesium intravenously to help with uh, preeclampsia and eclampsia. And then he also happened to mention that he had used it with asthma and he'd noticed it with a couple other conditions. Well, you know, <clears throat> at that time, magnesium, uh, u- the use of magnesium was not something that really people talked a lot about in the emergency rooms. You didn't talk about using magnesium intravenously. You used all sorts of other drugs for high blood pressure and these type of conditions. I had started using it up to that point in certain situations and I was a big believer in magnesium sulfate at that time already. And, of course, I use it extensively now in my practice and in acute situations. But back then, I'd already had maybe three, four years' experience using it in the emergency room setting. And so I start working at this new hospital. Now, you have to remember, I'm working in this new hospital as just a uh, you know, moonlighting doctor. But I was a chief of emergency medicine at Moncrief Army Community Hospital while I was still active duty in Fort Jackson, South Carolina at the time. And my nickname at that at the emergency room there was Dr. Magnesium. I'd walk in and my NCOs that work in the emergency room knew that they better get magnesium uh, sulfate interven- you know, ready for intravenous infusion because I used it with all my acute cardiac patients. In fact, as I became chief of ER, some of these are medical director for the emergency rooms and some of these emergency rooms that I worked at in the civilian sector, 
um, that was my standing order to the paramedics was that if you have an acute chest pain patient, I don't want you to give them nitro. The problem is nitro causes a relaxation. You don't really know if it's heart or not. But if you had a chest pain patient, shortness of breath, you know, had the, had the classic chest tightness, et cetera, et cetera, 100 uh, cc's of D5W, uh, two grams of magnesium sulfate intravenously over 20 minutes. And by the time they got into the emergency room, most of those patients were already stable. And in fact, now even in advanced cardiac life support, magnesium is one of the first line of drugs to be used. Now, I'm working in this hospital and here family practice doc and he tells the patient that he's discharging from the emergency room. He wants him to take two tablespoons of magnesium citrate that you can buy for like a dollar fifty at Walmart. Yes. As he walks out, the other ER docs there, the other doctors there, a couple from ER docs and a couple from where other doctors that were coming into the emergency room to see their patients, they're all snickering and laughing. And so I'm standing there, I'm the new guy on the block, so I'm not really sure what they're laughing at. I said, Well what are you guys laughing at? Well, that doctor, he just gave magnesium citrate. Oh, yeah, that's all he does. He comes in, and it's, it's weird because he always thinks that magnesium citrate is a solution to everything. Every patient comes in, he gives them magnesium citrate, and they're all laughing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty important considering that we are, as a society, are magnesium deficient. And I walked off. Oh. And they're looking at me now like, oh, crap, there's another one of these guys that believes in magnesium. Oh. And within maybe six months, my reputation there was the same thing. I'd walk in. The nursing staff knew I was coming in. They would go call down to the hospital pharmacy. They would send up magnesium sulfate in vials, you know, ready to go so that we needed it for any type of uh, emergency. I used it with asthma. I used it all my standing cardiac patients. I used it in acute hypertensive crisis. And this was something that was taught to me by an OBGYN that was getting ready to retire. He was in his 70s and his 80s, and they used it for eclampsia. And how many doctors use magnesium intravenously in an acute cardiac setting. Virtually nobody, and yet it's one of the most important things. Now, they talk about getting a magnesium check on people. Well, who the hell cares what the magnesium levels of the person? We're deficient as a society. So whatever the normal reference range is you're looking by definition, it's going to be off. But the assumption of the young docs was that they're deficient of a drug by their very behavior because they're immediately looking for that instead of a nutrient or a mineral. And in a magnesium case, it, it is that widespread, that deficiency. So you're spot on. And we talk about everything old becoming new again. I mean, we talk about the use of silver coming back into the medical profession. They abandoned it. Or certain botanicals, which were commonplace before the advent of antibiotics, penicillin, a patent held by the U.S. government, which sent us in a direction that really d- created the superbug. So we've got to go back to the basics. Well, you're right, Doc Robert. Except that you did make a you did make one assumption that you said the younger docs were looking at it. They weren't the younger docs. I was the younger doc. These guys were like five, ten, fifteen years my senior. Oh, they were already there for I didn't get that. Okay, so they had the they were the ones that abandoned it, and you're the you're the bright young kid coming up coming back and going, hey, I'm listening to my elder over there. He's right. Exactly. And I'm telling you now that there's more and more of the newer generation of doctors coming up that are just screaming for this information. They're yearning for it. I've actually had medical students from uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, rotate through my office. Uh, It's been a number of years now. I've lectured at Chapel Hill uh, twice now. They want this information. They yearn for it. They don't want to be cookbook pill pushers. you know, as I like to affectionately refer to the profession of medicine as the prostitutes of the pharmaceutical industry. Yes. 
they don't want to do that. And so I think it is the newer generation. And I kind of feel weird because I've always felt like I was a younger generation. Now I'm 46. I'm no longer, I mean, I've been a doctor 21 years, so I'm no longer the, the new generation. There's another generation, two generations now, you know, well, you're you're staying young because your your ideas are young. They're all they're you know they're really connecting with all different ages that are attending the events as well. The the advanced medicine seminars. Now, I don't know if we can reach Oprah Winfrey, but we've got an article here that says she's going organic. I, I think she's gone organic before, but I think she's making it official now with her own product line that's organic. But her discovery, Doctor Mehmet Oz, is the one saying that it's elitist and 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 not democratic to go organic. Yeah, I would. I would want to know what he eats himself. I will bet you. I will bet you a hundred dollars, Robert, that he and his family probably eat cleaner and organic food on a more consistent basis than most people. Yeah. So the projection is his his guilt for being an elitist is he's painting everybody else who wants to eat clean food as an elitist. Yeah, exactly. He's projecting, perhaps. <laughs> That's my perspective on it, too. So I find that rather interesting. Uh, by the way, I've got the link. If you if you missed my appearance on the Jerry Doyle show last week before Thanksgiving on that issue, what, what Mehmet Oz had said about eating organic, you've got to listen to that. It's linked up. But, uh, but Dr. Bittar, we talk about going clean, going green, but that means also growing our own, not just relying upon others to do it for us like you've done with your own ranch at home. Well, you know, it's amazing how hard it was for us to find non-GMO corn mm-hmm. and non-GMO oats. Do you know that we could not find a single place? We were given three names of three places here in North Carolina. And all three places, when we contacted them, confirmed that they did not have GMO, non-GMO uh, food or non-GMO grains. They were all GMO. So we had to find a place. And the closest place we found was in West Virginia, we had to have it shipped out from out of state because we couldn't find a single place in North Carolina mm-hmm. that had non-GMO grain. Well, imperative to start saving your seeds because Monsanto wants to own everything. Listen, Dr. Batar, we're, we're wrapping up. We're out of time here. But uh, what a great uh, post-holiday edition of the Advanced Medicine uh, Monday. It was great, Robert. And it's, uh, it's something that now with the holiday season upon us, we may not always have you know between now and christmas we may end up having to go to the best of one of our previous shows but i'm glad we were able to uh, do this one live like we usually do yeah absolutely great stuff and everybody get ready january in phoenix the dates are up we've got it linked advanced medicine seminars it's in the show notes in the meantime get dr batar's book it's a great holiday gift the ninth step to keep the doctor away and of course the power to heal is yours 